God, we've already been ministered to today. Now, I know what's coming up, and, and yet I see the words to those songs, and they have such, such deep meaning. And God, I've been ministered to personally by the people in this audience, by their voices, by their shouts of praise to you. Lord, these people have come to grow. They've come to learn. May your Holy Spirit take over and provide that today. It's all about you, God. It's all about you. Thank you for this time we get to be here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. So uh, how many of you actually do like spring cleaning? Like, like something more than your normal, if you have a normal cleaning routine. So spring cleaning goes beyond. Well, my wife and I decided this spring we'd do some deep spring cleaning, which is a whole nother category. And uh, before I could start on closets in the house or the stuff stored up above, I had to start with the garage. And we've been living in our current house for 11 years, and, I, you know, just stuff stacks up. So I opened the door. I, I honestly, I used to have people, like, sign a waiver before they passed through my garage. There was an accident clause in there in case something grabbed you or you tripped. So it was just a big mess. So I started with the, the heap, the pile, and it's like, okay, throw away this, goodwill that, sell this. And I worked my way down and down and down to the bottom layer. When I got to the bottom layer, underneath the shelf, I found my trunk. I found my trunk. Now, I was excited and couldn't wait to open this because I kind of knew some of what the trunk was all about. I got this in 1975. I was heading out as a young man to go work in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming on the Snake River. I ended up there a couple summers doing that. Um, and so this trip reflects the places I've been. Remember the old stickers you'd put on there and it'd show, Right. So Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Nevada, I went up through British Columbia, down through the San Juan Islands. Uh, there's one for the Mangy Moose Saloon. I have no idea how that got on there. Um, appropriately, it's got our Happy Birthday America stickers on it for today. And I couldn't wait to open. Oh, yeah, go for it. So I opened this up, and uh, I, had, I, I remembered that the stuff in here predates when I got the trunk in 75. Like, I, once I got it, I just started shoving junk in it. And so I just want to share with you a few things from the trunk. Um, my Cub Scout uniform, huh? <laughs> you know what's sad? It only says Cub Scout. Like, I don't even have any little fancy buttons. Like, I don't think I lasted very long in Cub Scouts. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff from my high school. Camden Cougars, huh? I, 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 it's a bleacher seat. I probably never used it on a bleacher. Cheerleaders were probably doing a fundraiser, and I felt compelled to buy one from them. So I got that. Oh, check this out. Senior year, I took bachelor homemaking. Huh? Apron, complete with pocket, and my name is poorly stitched on the pocket right here. Oh, yeah. It, you wonder where these go. You spend your whole life doing athletics and winning things, and where do they end up? A box, hidden away somewhere, never to be seen again. So these are my medals. Huh? Quite a big box here, and there's just all kinds of whatever I competed in, blah, blah, blah. This is actually one of my favorites. I, I got fourth place in the CCS finals in the pole vault my sophomore year. 
with a uh, PR of 12 foot 6 inches, which actually isn't all that high, but, you know, it, it got what I got, so. Okay, now this was odd, and I had more of these, but I just brought a sampling for you, and this in no way reflects my political ideas. I have political buttons. I, I think I thought at some point I'd be rich if I kept things for a long time. <laughs> Turns out you become, well, a hoarder, basically. <laughs> So, check it out. Reagan country. Uh Oh, this could get ugly. I I thought I couldn't really use this one now, but listen to all of it. President Nixon, now more than ever. (laughs) Jimmy Carter for president, 1980, in the shape of a heart. No no claps for Carter, boy. Guess, Guess we know where you guys stand. And the other thing that I found in the trunk was the box. I found the box. Now, the box originally, somewhere in the 60s, it appears my mom got a brand new steam and dry iron from GE. And so that was the box. But I quickly absconded this from my mom. And I knew when I found this what was in here. Because I began in 1968-69 shoving, stuffing, mashing notes and letters into the box. And so right alongside the box in the trunk was a whole bag. And so I took the box, I took the bag, and I headed into the house. And for two solid nights, for two nights, I did not move, and I just sat in my house, and I read every scrap of paper from the box. So I'd like to share with you a few of the things I found as I was digging through here. Okay, the first thing, this is kind of funny. This is a a fun little thing to find. I found my my draft card, like my status card for selective service. I was 1H in 1974. Had to register when I turned 18. Didn't ever have to use this in any way at that time, but um, that was there. Oh, the other thing, and I already threw it away, but my Gemco card. (laughs) Now, by a show of hands, how many remember Gemco? Yeah, it was like an early, uh, you know, I was going to say price club, but that was before Costco. Um, it's a lifetime membership, so it's still good. Um, <laughs> but it turns out I didn't sign it, so I think I invalidated it. So all I remember as a kid, you had to have a card. Before I could get a card, you'd sneak in behind people who had a card. Uh-huh, some of you remember that one. Okay, there were a lot of these kind of things in there. This is a long note, but I had literally... 30, 40, 50 scraps of paper from junior high uh, notes. Uh, Most of them said stuff like, do you still like Lori? Or, you know, Ed likes Kim, and -and so-and-so's this, and they're that, and I'm mad at so It was ridiculous. I am a hoarder. I I can't even believe I kept all those. So a lot of those were in there. I loved finding these. I found a lot of letters from uh, family and friends when I was away somewhere, whether I was in Wyoming for those summers, I worked at a camp up in Canada one summer. So here's one from my friend Paul and one from my sister Joni. And I uh, loved rereading all these because it reminded me what was going on in their life, like as I read through it. And, and then, of course, they were referring back to me and things I had written or we talked about. And so what was going on in my life at the time? And I just spent such a long time just reading through all these letters from people. Okay, what box... Wouldn't be complete without one of these. The love letter. Those in the front row can see, but here's a giant heart made out of tiny little hearts. 
And on the back, this is going to show your age as well, big lips and S-W-A-K. What's that stand for? You know that. That's crazy. See, young people are like, I have no idea. And if you open this one up, it's actually got a heart. And inside the heart are two more hearts. So that was fun to find. One of the more interesting things I discovered were things from me. Like my mom, I, I guess I know where I got my hoarding ability. My mom kept things, and then I ended up with them later on. So here's a, a card that when I was in Hawaii, uh, I'd written back to the Moga family. And so I was telling them what was going on in Hawaii and what I'd been doing, or at least the things I thought I could tell them I'd been doing in Hawaii. Uh, but that was fun. Uh, this one, it's, it's on, first of all, it's on Snoopy paper. So, you know, that, this is old. And... Um, it was a Mother's Day card from, to my mom, a little Mother's Day note that I had written her, um, just telling her what a great mom she was and how much I loved her. That was pretty cool to find that one. And then the last one I want to share with you right now from the box is, is this one. I have to open really carefully. Um, hadn't, don't remember this at all, and again, this stuff's been in, in, in the box and the trunk for decades. This is dated November 27, 1962. So I was uh, about uh, six years old, and I wrote this. Dear Mother, I hope you have a happy Christmas. I left out the H. I could put that in there now, but I won't. And I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Love from Fritz. (laughs) And I just love sitting and going through all these amazing memories I had. Do you remember letters? Like letters, letters? Like, what's in your mailbox mostly now? Bills. Why does everybody know that? It's bills. But in the old days, you got letters, and they were so fun. Especially if you had written a letter, and then a word uh, young people don't understand quite as much today, you had to wait. You had to wait for a return letter to come to your mailbox. Or if you were just anticipating, like you knew that somebody was going to be writing a letter. And you would eagerly go to the mailbox every day. You would check it. You're looking for this letter. And I think when you open it, you're hoping for something to make you smile or laugh. Maybe a word of encouragement from someone. Or maybe even just uh, some advice that a friend is sharing you with you that's going to help you, you know, on the journey of life. And letters were just so cool. Well, this is exactly, exactly what is happening in many books of the Bible. They're letters. They're simply letters. Letters sent from early church leaders to those overseeing groups of new believers in Christ. And these letters that we have uh, are filled with amazing teaching, there's personal reflection, and there's reassurance for the people that had received them. And so this summer, we're going to look at a letter we call 2 Timothy written by the Apostle Paul to his young protege named Timothy. That's fortunate. And so let's take a deeper look at that letter today. So you can take out your message notes, and all the verses I'm going to read from will be on here. They'll be on the screen as well. There's a couple other things you can fill in along the way here. And the first fill-in is actually around this idea. Second Timothy that we're going to study is called an epistle. Epistle. That's simply uh, from the Greek word means letter or message. Letter or message. 
So all of these things we have written in here are just, these, they're letters that have come. And they were written, these epistles, to fledgling churches or individuals uh, in the earliest days of Christianity. That's just such an exciting thought to even hang on to for a moment. Now the Apostle Paul wrote 13 of the letters that we have. Each of them is addressing sort of a specific situation or a problem. In terms of volume, Paul's writings constitute an entire one-fourth of all that we have in the New Testament. And four of the letters that he wrote were composed while he was in prison. So let's see how he starts his letter to Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, 1 and 2. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. So Paul, once more, when he's writing this, he's imprisoned at this time. And it is the imprisonment which finishes in his death. That's significant because this then becomes the last writing we have from Paul's pen. And it's also then the final words of this amazing servant of God. Now, this particular letter is devoted mostly to personal matters. Paul has spent time, all the great doctrines of the faith he shared in other letters that we have mostly here. But he wanted to communicate one more time with his friend, Timothy. And as is the nature of what are called epistles, they're actually a letter that would have been shared publicly. So Timothy receives it, he reads it, and then he shares it with the other believers. And it gets shared beyond that and shared beyond that. So they were meant to be shared publicly. And uh, he, Paul, in his opening, refers to himself as an apostle, which just means, uh, in the original language, one who's sent away. One who's sent away. One who has a mission. Who's going out to do a mission. And Paul describes himself also as chosen by the will of God. And then he gives us his mission. He says his specific mission is to go out and tell others about the life he has promised through Christ Jesus, through, Christ, through faith in Christ Jesus. What a great mission to be on for Paul or anyone. So I want to share with you today in just a few minutes we have together what I see as the power of a letter. The power of a letter. So you can write this in. The first attribute of a power of a letter is the ability to excite. The ability to excite. So a little bit of background. Paul is writing this letter to a young pastor evangelist that we said was named Timothy. And it was actually on Paul's second missionary journey when he's introduced to this young disciple named Timothy. And all the believers around him had already figured out that this Timothy, he was a hot commodity. He was a bright, sharp, godly young man. And so the townsfolk, they gush on Timothy and they gush and finally... Paul says this in Acts chapter 16. It says that Paul wanted him, being Timothy, to join him on their journey. So the two of these guys take off together. And Paul becomes his mentor and his friend. Paul, in the opening here, he calls him, My dear son. My dear son. How intimate, how enduring is that? Well, I've kept out a few letters from the box. I hope you don't get tired of me sharing these today, but I think they will help us to see some of the things in Paul's letter to Timothy. And the first one I want to share with you was my favorite find in the box. It was letters from my mom. 
And my mom's been gone for 20 years. She passed away 20 years ago. And yet I found these letters that she wrote to me. And I opened them up, all of them. This is the first one I found. And it's just about stuff in life. I was working in Wyoming, and she's telling me what's going on with the family and her and blah, blah, blah. It's about eight pages my mom loved to write, and it was so great to get these. But it's the first two words that got to me as I opened it up. They were this, Dear Fritz. Dear Fritz. And I didn't just read those words. I read them in my mom's voice. I could hear her saying it to me. Dear Fritz, and I just sat and I began to cry as I went right back into all the memories of my mom and what a great woman she was, how special she was. I, I just want to say it was so sweet to my eyes and to my ears when I read those first words, Dear Fritz. Well, that's the same that Timothy must have felt. He must have been so excited. He gets this letter from someone who's going to be that endearing to him. And when, that message, when a messenger arrived with a letter from his friend Paul, he must have been excited to receive it. You see, they have a history. They have a history. They planted churches together. They traveled together sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And they went to places like Phrygia, Galatia, Mysia, other places I can barely pronounce. And they spent so much time together. And then, after a while, Timothy goes out on his own. And now he goes out into Athens and Corinth and Ephesus and all over Asia. And he spends time sharing. But he also had the privilege of visiting with Paul when he was in prison. We know that through some of the letters. Timothy visited Paul, not when he was writing this particular letter, but at a previous time. And incidentally, I have a prison letter. One of the more odd and yet special letters I found in the box was a letter from my Uncle Joe. Now, Uncle Joe, got to give you a little family history here. Uh, Uncle Joe is in jail for alcoholism and all that goes along with that. It's kind of a MOGA thing in the past. And he even says this as part of his alcoholic issues. He says, it kind of scares me. After all I've been through and knowing I won't live long if I drink again, I still want to drink. I still want to drink. Now, I think like uh, Apostle Paul in his opening, I think that when I found out Uncle Joe was in jail, I wanted to share the gospel with him. I wanted to be a light to him. He actually writes in the beginning, I vaguely remember you. Yeah, I, I didn't know Uncle Joe well. I'm not sure we'd ever had a conversation per se, but I knew he was in there and he was in Minnesota and I'm in California and I just wanted to share some light with him. The cool thing about part of this letter is he actually preaches back to me. I told him I worked in a church, and he says, well, if you're working for God, you're never going to have a better boss. <laughs> and in the very beginning, he said he was happy to hear from me. He says, I don't get much mail. I don't get much mail. So I can only imagine uh, how it must have been, how Paul would have felt being locked up, um, wanting to see or hear from people, and even to be able to, for Paul to write to, to them, like Uncle Joe to, did to me. That must have been a huge comfort for him. And now Timothy gets this letter from Paul while he's in prison. As Timothy unrolls this parchment, he must be so excited to hear from his old friend. What's his friend going to say? How is his old friend doing, even though he's locked up? And what words is he going to share to keep him going in his ministry and his life? 
So think about this for a moment. When was the last time you were excited to receive a letter? You're just excited to receive a letter. Maybe it was an email. You got an email. Maybe it was a Facebook post. But there was something in it that really got you excited. What was that? Who was it from? What was it they were going to share with you that got you going, made you feel good? That is the power of a letter. It has the ability to excite us. So let's continue to explore this letter to Timothy. The second power of a letter is the ability to educate. The ability to educate. Now, all epistles are what are called occasional documents. They arose because of some special situation in the first century. So people were writing these letters uh, to, talk, uh, to address something specifically. So the occasion might be some kind of behavior in the early church that needed correcting. There might be a doctrinal error that they were helping set right. Maybe there was a misunderstanding and the writer needed to shed further light to these early believers or early congregations about the way things should be. So I, I was thinking about this. I think epistles might be called like letters with a purpose. They were written with a purpose. Now, our family has a lawyer friend, and anytime any of us are frustrated because we've received uh, not one of those letters that do get you excited, or we have a problem with a, a business or a company, or we've received a bill, and we don't think the bill is fair, whatever it is, here's the standard line that she would say, I could write a strongly worded letter. I could write a strongly worded letter, and if you put that on letterhead... You know, from uh, the lawyer, this and that, and the other person, law team, that's going to carry some weight with that kind of power. And it might even shake up the people that are hearing it. Well, the epistles are the same way. The people that received them, they were excited, but they knew something was coming. And if you read much of Paul's epistles, Paul's letters, you know that many of them are strongly worded. But these had a purpose. Their purpose was to educate. Their purpose was to instruct. They're called didactic in nature. They were there with a purpose. So how did Paul want to educate Timothy in his letter? And if you think about that, you have to understand that Paul was also going to be educating us. Because once again, these letters were passed along. We end up with it. So Paul is speaking to Timothy, and he's speaking to us. What is it he wanted to share, to educate all of us with? What do you want to explain in more detail? Well, I've come up uh, with a few things from 2 Timothy, and I'm just going to mention them now, but you're going to hear more about all of them in the weeks to come. So first, Paul will share with Timothy and us that life will be hard. Life will be hard. This is from chapter 1, verse 8. It says this, Be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Paul's in prison, but he tells Timothy Life's going to be hard. Be ready to suffer. Life's not always easy. You guys know that. Living with Jesus comes with trials, but just living life comes with a number of trials too, doesn't it? I had the, uh, the privilege of speaking at a, a teenage camp a couple weeks ago, uh, up by Twain Hart for a week to some junior high and high school students. And just early in the week, or maybe, maybe midweek, Wednesday or something, this young man got caught stealing from his bunkmates. And so they sequestered him, and we're trying to figure out what do we do with this young boy. And they finally came to the conclusion that it was serious enough, they couldn't keep him around, they're going to send him home. And so they kept him uh, on the side for part of a day, and then more time went on. The problem was, as they made the phone calls home, as they attempted to get someone to come get him, no one 
wood. No one came to camp to take home the calf. So he ended up staying. He stayed for the last couple days. He had to be constantly with a leader. I got to only come to a few select activities. But I got a chance to spend some time with this young guy. And uh, his dad couldn't come get him because he was in jail for robbery. And as I sat with that young man, I said, so, so do you, do you want to grow? Do you want to change? Or, or do you want to just be just like your daddy? And he hung his head and he said, I don't know. I don't know. And my heart was broken for this young believer who's growing up in such a harsh, negative, and destructive environment. And he knows, he already knows at his young age that life will be hard. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, there are still struggles that are going to come in life. And sadly, his story was only one of many I heard throughout that week of others. It just made me so sad for the state of our world today and for a lot of the specific struggles that our teenagers are facing. Pray for them, would you? Commit to pray for the young people around us. But it's not just our young. We all realize that life is difficult. So secondly, Paul's going to drive it home a little more and tell Timothy, okay, it's not over yet. Opposition will come. Life is hard, yeah, and opposition will come. Chapter 3, verse 2 says, or 3.12 says, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, every time I read these kind of things, I always think, you know, we here don't seem to suffer much because of our beliefs. We're just kind of on the DL, and nobody really questions us much, and I don't see this kind of persecution. But in other parts of the world, oh my, oh my. Just in the last couple weeks as I was working on this, I read about Christians being persecuted in Turkey, Iraq, Korea, Mexico, and of course here in the United States in places like, like Charleston, South Carolina. Persecution is real. We just don't sense, sense it too much in our life. I watched a movie on Netflix this last week called uh, God's Not Dead. God's Not Dead. Now I got to tell you, I hated a, a huge part of this movie because it's about an ignorant, bullish professor who does not want the best for his students and is doing everything he can to, to just set them on one thing, not let them think. He's just horrible. And as a college professor myself, I really just, I don't want to believe that that person even exists. So I didn't care for that part. The part of the movie that I did appreciate is in, in this story, one young man, one young believer, takes on a challenge to step up in front of a philosophy class with that professor, and he has the opportunity to try and convince people that God's not dead. And it was, it was good. It was well done. It was dramatic. What I loved about that is in the face of the opposition that had come his way, he stood up and he told the truth with logic and with love. With logic and with love. And that's the way we need to do things. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, if we took a stand for Jesus, 
If we shared the gospel more in the places we live and we breathe each day with love, of course, if we lived our lives as we should, we might experience more mocking, more persecution at the hands of our culture, right? We might. So even with all that said, you know that life can be hard. You know that opposition will come. So a third thing that Paul wanted to explain to Timothy was this, and it takes a little upswing here. Here we go. In chapter 2, verse 1, God will provide. God will provide. He says this, Timothy, my dear son, be strong. Be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. This is our theme verse for our series on 2 Timothy, which we're calling Stronger. It's a verse we all should memorize. We need to cling to this in desperate times. God provides us with grace, with grace, with unmerited, undeserved, undeserved divine assistance. God gives us that. So when we come up short in life, when we fail, when we give in to the opposition that's facing us, when we don't want to go on anymore, God, God will provide. He will provide you the grace to keep on going. Now, now I don't know about you, this thought alone, this thought alone should give it gives me, should give us all a stronger assurance in our faith, a stronger assurance that makes it possible on those difficult spots in our journeys that God will be there. He will empower us to continually live for Jesus daily. We have that assurance. And then there's one last assurance that Paul wanted to share with Timothy and us as well, and it's this. God is faithful. God will provide, and it's because he is faithful. Paul's in prison, he's nearing his death, and yet he never for a moment doubts that God would be with him. So he shares this in chapter 1, verse 12. He says, For I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. And then a little while later, he pens these words to Timothy in chapter 4. And he, being Jesus, rescued me from certain death. He rescued me from certain death, yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And we, we can also rest assured that God will be faithful to us. He will bring all those who trust in him safely into his heavenly kingdom. That is a beautiful verse. That is a beautiful word. So the power of a letter. Paul has excited Timothy. He's educated him. And the final power, I believe, of the letter is the ability to encourage. The ability to encourage. Now, this is 2 Timothy. So obviously, Paul wrote a 1 Timothy letter. And in that letter, there's a real sense of urgency. Uh, it, it, there was some false teaching going on in the early church. Paul uses words and phrases in 1 Timothy like heretics, blasphemy, abandonment, and handing over to Satan. Ouch! That's a strongly worded letter. But when we get to 2 Timothy, it seems like this urgency is past. 
And so now we get this feeling, we have this picture that it's these two friends hanging out, having a conversation. Now there's still trouble looming, as trouble always does, and especially for Paul still being in prison. But make no mistake, this is unmistakably a letter of encouragement. Okay, a third letter I kept out to share with you. I was from a young lady I was dating. Her name was Catherine. She's my wife. And I had left San Jose and I was coming right down the road here to lead backpack trips for troubled teenagers and for church groups with a ministry called Christian Encounter Ranch. And so I hadn't been there very long when I received this letter from her. This is May of 79. I have permission to read this section, by the way, from her. First, I guess I just want you to know how proud I am of you. Deep breath. For what you're doing this summer. I am really excited for you and the ministry you'll have. I know it's kind of scary, and you'll have a lot to learn about leading the trips. But I have so much confidence in you. I know you'll be fantastic. Just don't lose sight of the reason you're there to serve the Lord. What a letter of encouragement. At this point, I really knew nothing about backpacks and wilderness experiences. And yet, I was going to be taking groups of teenagers for, two to th- for one to two weeks up to desolation wilderness up the road here where we would head out with minimal supplies for that time and using only map and compass to get us around which i didn't know how to do yet at all so i was terrified and then i received this letter of encouragement i think i just needed to know that somebody believed in me that someone thought i had the skills and abilities to do what i was called to do And I love her reminder to not lose sight of why I was really there. And that was to serve the Lord. In the opening greeting of this letter that Paul sent to Timothy, he's sending it to encourage him. He says we can have this life that has been promised to us through faith. It's been promised. He continues on and says, may God, the Father, Christ Jesus, give you grace, mercy, and peace. You can do this. Hang in there. Keep going. You've been gifted. You've been called. Don't give up. You've got what it takes to do this. He was asking Timothy to move beyond his setting. Move beyond the fears that he had. And come alive in his relationship with God. And say the things he needed to say in the world to save people from darkness. And the reality is, my friends, that's still true today. For every one of you in here who call yourselves believers, you have a calling. You have a calling to live for Jesus daily and to represent values in a world that's more and more opposed to faith. It's a call where we have to rely on this grace that it says God gives us. We have to rely on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit so that we can be strong. So let me ask you a few questions. What's holding you back from living the life you want to live in Christ? What's holding you back from living the way that you know you want to live in your relationship with Jesus? 
What fears are you dealing with? What fears do you have? It may be fears about your future, fears about your finances, fears involved with relationships. What's holding you back? And what fears are you facing? And then a third question as I think about this is what encouragement do you need? What letter do you want to get today? How would you like to open a letter today that just made you smile, you felt reassured, it made you able to go on? What encouragement, what words of encouragement do you need to hear today from someone around you that's going to help you and keep you going along in this journey of life? Perhaps you're feeling a little bit like Paul, captive captive now i think only paul's body was captive i think his mind was more set free than most of us but are you captive today to destructive thought patterns to lifestyle choices to or to addictive behaviors do you feel abandoned by others sometimes alone in the struggles that you're facing or maybe you're maybe you're feeling what what timothy was feeling at this time simply overwhelmed Simply overwhelmed with a to-do list that includes taking care of family and friends, providing for them both physically and spiritually. If you are facing or thinking or doing any of that, then this upcoming series and this powerful letter is for you. It's for you today. So be excited about what is to come this summer in the letter of 2 Timothy. Be ready for some amazing education by what Paul's going to share with Timothy, and then, of course, it's going to be shared with us. And finally, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Paul tells, here that Timothy, uh, to Paul tells us here that God will provide grace, mercy, and peace to make it through this life. I love that if you look throughout Timothy, throughout the letter, he has phrases or words like, hold on, be strong, endure. He's telling them, don't give up. And he says, ultimately, we'll all be delivered from this. And we will end up with our Lord in his heavenly kingdom. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, one last letter. Now, most letters you get, they're, they're fun. They might have a minutia of life, just things. Every once in a while, every once in a while, a letter arrives in your mailbox that changes the course of your life forever. This is one of those letters. It comes from the Young Life office in San Jose. I had been training uh, uh, in my first year of college to be a novice Young Life leader. It's a ministry that works with high school students and shares the gospel with them. And so I'd been attending these meetings for a while, and then I received this letter. Dear Fritz, just a note to tell you we've been delighted that you've been involved in our freshman leadership group. And they go on a little bit later on. As a staff, we met last Monday, and because you've expressed an interest and commitment in being involved as a junior leader in a club next year, we want to let you know you've been placed tentatively in the Prospect High School Club. And it was there, in the ministry, that I met a godly young woman named Catherine. And last Sunday, we celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew other than the Holy Spirit that when these human beings typed this letter on a real typewriter, 
when they put this in an envelope, when they sent it, when it arrived in my mailbox, when I opened it up and I read it and I said, yes, I'll go ahead and become a leader in this organization, that it would change my life forever. This is truly a life-changing letter. I want to challenge you this week to read another life-changing letter, to take this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy and to read it, to read it all the way through. Now, normally you don't read half a letter and stop. You read it all the way through because you want to know the flow. You want to see what it's really being said there correctly. So I challenge you to pick up this letter this week. I challenge you to read it. I I want you to imagine, sit with it, and just imagine this one older friend writing to this younger friend words of encouragement about how to make it through life. Sit with this letter and let God illuminate for you something from this parchment. It truly, truly might be one of those life-changing letters. Let me pray. Thank you, God, for your word that gives us power, gives us strength to go on. Lord, we're so blessed to know you, to know the power that comes with living for you. I pray, Lord, that we can live in that power. We can take those spots in our journey that are difficult, the uphills, that we can push through by reading, by studying, by by learning what you have to say for us. God, bless these people as they go out today, as they just go out to everything they'll be doing. Help them to feel today encouraged. And may they go beyond that and be an encouragement to others. With their words, perhaps an email, a Facebook post, a note. But somebody, somebody might copy or take and put in a box. Put in a box and discover it years later. And be filled once again with the deep, rich meanings of those words. Thank you that we have rich words in your Bible. May we cling to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.